Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. I am Kelsey. I am the site pastor here. I have the joy and privilege of being a part of the pastoral team with the 61. Um, and it's really good to see you guys. <laughs> uh, I love, so regularly we stream into our Balaam site and watch a preach as one church, but every now and then we do local live preaching and that's what we have today. You're welcome. You get me. Um, that's a little joke, but it's fine. <laughs> um, so with that, we're in a vision series, and essentially the last two weeks, our lead pastors, Viv and Steve Bateman, have been going, have been talking about who are we as Vineyard 61, who are we becoming, and where are we going as a church. And then today, in our sites in Balaam and in Battersea and here in Westside, what we want to talk about is specifically in our community, what do we sense the Lord is doing among us, and where are we going with him? And so today, I just want to share a bit um, from the early church, and I want us to look back and learn from the early church as we look forward to see what we imagine God is inviting us into. Um, and so words uh, from scripture is going to pop up behind me. You know, Bill, I didn't check to see if I have the power. Do I have the power? <gasps> look at that. Okay, great. Um, but before we jump in, so if you have a Bible, you can open up if you want to read on your phone or you can follow along behind me. Um, but what I just want to do is set a little bit of context as where are we coming into this story in the early church? Um, who are we reading about? What are we reading about? And so essentially, we're reading from Acts 4, which is early in um, the story of Acts. And what has just happened is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, has been poured out among um, these believers. And it was this big scene that some people watching thought they were drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. And we're like, this is crazy. They're drunk. Can't, you, can't everybody tell? Other people were like, no, this is God. Something is happening. And so there was a lot of like questioning, what is this? And it was. It was the power of God being poured out among the early church, among these believers, people who were giving their lives to Jesus. And from that point, then the early church becomes known for gathering, breaking bread together, being in their homes, caring for the poor, the power of God moving through them, healing people, freeing people, and praising God for what he is doing among them and through them. And so where we show up in this text is people are headed to the temple. And on their way, these two guys, Peter and John, um, confront a man who's paralyzed, who's been placed outside the temple to beg for money, essentially. And what they say to him is, we don't have anything to offer you but the power of God. And, and, they, and then God ends up healing this man who cannot walk. So he can't walk. And then all of a sudden, he can walk. And it's created like quite a stir. And then Peter from there preaches the forgiveness and love of Jesus to all of these people on their way to the temple, right? And what's amazing about this moment is it's not the fact, I mean, it is the fact that this man who can't walk begins to walk, but it's also that the presence of God is no longer contained into this building called the temple. 
before people coming to the temple. They would have expected that's where God is. God is in this building. God is in this room, the Holy of Holies. That's where God is. God isn't out and among us. But now what they've seen by this man walking is that the presence and power of God has left the building and is in people and is moving outside of where they would expect God to be. And so this is amazing, but it's also confronting and disturbing, and there are these questions by the priests and the temple guards and the leaders. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. This man is walking. We can't deny that. But also, this doesn't fit into our religious box, what we understand about God and how God moves. And so where we are picking up in this story is the temple leaders have essentially imprisoned John and Peter because they needed to stop. They're like, just stop. We just don't like this. And we'll figure this out. And so they imprison them. And John and Peter are in prison overnight, and then in the morning, the leaders talk to them about what's going on. And so that's where we're picking up this morning. And I'm just going to read. I'm going to turn around and read. Um, okay. So they being the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish people, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Referring to the healing of this man. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how we, he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I have the power. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone, in, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them back in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So there's this pretty powerful confrontation between the leaders at the time and John and Peter telling them, do not speak in the name of Jesus what is happening, this uproar, the questioning, disrupting a system that's been in place. They don't know, the leaders at the time don't know what to do with it, and so they say, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And what Peter and John reply with is, we can't. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard, what we've experienced, what we know is true. And I think it's amazing because that they, the, the chief priests, they recognize that these men, there's nothing actually special about them. 
They're unschooled, ordinary men. They don't have high status in the culture. They don't have a lot to offer, but they have Jesus, and they've been moved and transformed and changed by the living God. And it's funny, I was thinking about, who, like, who is Peter? And if you're not familiar, Peter is this kind of complex character throughout the New Testament because he has this moment, he has multiple moments with Jesus where he's like, I'm all in, I'm yours, I'm going to follow you to your death. And then Jesus says, like, no, actually, you're going to reject me at my time of need. And he's like, no, no, it won't be. That's not true, that won't happen. But then he does. And the same Peter that asks Jesus to bring him out onto the water and walk on water with Jesus is the same Peter who, when asked by a little girl, didn't you hang out with that man? As Jesus goes to the cross, Peter says, no, no, not me, not me. And he rejects him three times. And then they have this moment, right? In the life of Peter, they have this moment. Jesus dies and is raised from the dead and then makes a space for Peter to come talk to him about what's happened between them and reconciles this relationship between them. And he prepares fish around a fire. Peter, come sit with me. Come be with me. Come sit around this fire. Have breakfast with me. Let's talk about our life, our life together, and that this isn't the end, that we can continue. And so Peter has had this up and down, and he doesn't always understand it, and yet he's really committed, and sometimes he's out, and he is human. And I find Peter inspiring because there are moments that I feel like I'm up and down, I'm in, I'm out, I'm all over the place. And yet I know Jesus continues to make a fire and put fish before me and say, Kelsey, just come back. Just come look at me, come talk to me, come hang out with me. Just remember, like, I am better than you think I am. I am more good than you think I am. My love has no end. And I think Peter is this really great image of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because it's not Peter, actually, that's so great, right? It's Jesus. And that's what the chief priests realize. These men who are unschooled, ordinary men can tell that they've been with Jesus. And it's the courage of Peter and John that makes them realize they've been with Jesus. What is it? What is it about being with Jesus that changes us? What is it about Jesus inviting us in and inviting us close? What is it? See, before Jesus even goes to the cross and he is living life among his disciples, he has this, as he, before he goes to the cross, he has a night with him where he tells them about what's going to happen and what's coming and where they can take hope and have comfort and have peace in the midst of what is about to happen, which he is referring to the cross. And Um, In John 15, John records this. Oops, there we go. Um, Jesus says this to them. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will be seen as my disciples. Something is there. Something is in that abiding. Something is in that connection. And so how do we do this? As followers of Jesus, how do we abide with Jesus? This is the question I come back to again and again and again because I myself, I feel like I have seen and heard, I've tasted and I know the goodness of God. 
But there are days I forget. There are moments I lose sight of it, moments I feel wobbly. And yet I know that God is always worth going back to, and there's no end to his goodness. And so how do we do this? How do we remain in Jesus? How do we remain connected and abiding in him, remaining in him? And maybe there are some ways you personally um, you personally engage with God. Maybe it's first thing in the morning you read, you have a devotional time. Maybe it's a moment of silence at the end of your day to reflect, God, where were you? Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe there's a variety of things. Maybe it's in community. But I think today what I want to talk about are two practices that I want us as West Side to consider as we engage in them as one church. And those are communion and community. And you might be thinking like, why those two? Of all the two, why those two? And I think this is why. Communion and community help us remember the love that God has for us and the love that God has for other people. And I think we can't move on from that. We must start and stay in the love of God for ourselves and for other people. And it's not just this great idea. It's something that Jesus does before he does any ministry. It's God, he receives love from his heavenly father at his baptism, who says, I love you, you are my son, and I'm well pleased with you. He receives his calling as a son, his identity as a son, as loved, before he does any sort of miracle or work or sign of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And I think that there's something that Jesus models there for us to hold on to. That we are first loved by God. And that is the place of abiding. That is the place of remaining. And I think that's what communion invites us into. If you have been with us at all on a Sunday morning, you would know that we, um, we take communion every Sunday. And some of you might wonder, like, why do we do this? Why? What is in this piece of bread and this little cup of juice? Is it that it's from Waitrose? Is Waitrose better than Tesco? Is that what it is? Is it a loaf of bread? Is it homemade or like sliced bread? What is so special about a piece of bread and a little cup of juice? Why are we so committed to practicing this every week? And I think there are two reasons. One is to remember. I think there are lots that happens through our weeks. There's a lot of stuff that happens. Conversations, arguments, frustrations, regrets, joys, hopes, accomplishments. And it can feel like through our week we're going, we're going, we're going, and then we come to Sunday, and when we stop and we reflect and we pause to remember, God is good, God is on the throne, and it is all going to be all right. Even if we have doubts and questions, uncertainties, and we really are, are in a midst. Like, I think communion is the best thing to practice when you're in the midst of a moment that you're like, I don't see the way forward. And God, I don't see your goodness. And I don't see where you are. Because what communion does is it reminds us of what, what God did in Jesus thousands of years ago to say we can always rely on the cross to remind us of the love of God. And that never fails. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, even when we aren't sure of how life is going to turn out, the cross reminds us God did care about his people. He does love us. He's made a way for us. 
and he's living with us. And I think the other thing about communion is that this practice is visceral. This practice is engaging. It engages your sight as you take a, cu- a, piece, a, a, as you take a piece of bread and a cup of juice, but it also, it, it also requires taste, that you put something in your mouth and you taste goodness. And you remind yourself, like, what, what was lost on me at one moment is now remi- I'm reminded, God, you are good. You are good. And, and in communion, in this act of breaking bread and pouring wine, it is this reminder that God, the love of God in heaven, is here and now, and there's nothing that can separate us. And we have to cling to that. Because there's a lot going on outside, outside of a Sunday morning that tells us otherwise, isn't there? Aren't there moments that you get at the end of your day and you're just like, what am I doing? Where am I going with this? Is this worth it? Is this worth my time? Is this worth my money? Is following Jesus worth it? This feels really hard. And yet communion draws us back into this love of God that is mysterious, that knows no end, that reminds us that nothing and no one can separate us from him. And it's a beautiful thing to remember It's a restorative practice to remember that we no longer move for a place of love, for love, for God's affirmation. We move from that. So every Sunday when we take bread and we take juice, we're reminding ourselves we move from this place, from this restoration, from this love, from this peace, from this goodness, from this mercy, Jesus on the cross. It reminds us of how good, how loving, how gracious, how powerful God is. But communion isn't just up and down. Communion also works this way, back and forth, to the people to your left, to the people on your right. It's not only about God and you. Communion draws us to one another. David Schrock, an American pastor and author, puts communion this way. When we take the Lord's Supper, we do not take it as privatized persons. That's how the modern mind thinks of itself, as billions of individuals, each defined and determined by their own self-will, but not the church. In Christ, we are the, the sheep of the same flock, brothers and sisters in the same family, members of the same body. We are participants one of another, and therefore communion is not simply vertical, it is also horizontal. That same meal that Jesus pours the wine and breaks the bread, he also takes off his robe, and he grabs a water pitcher and a basin, and he gets on his knees, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And as he does this, he says, continue to do this because I'm giving you a new command. Oh, Mm, I don't have this on a slide. In John 13, he says, after Jesus washes his feet, he tells him, I'm giving you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as we are invited personally by Jesus to this table that he's put before us to taste and see that he is good, we're also drawn closer to those around us. The same table that Jesus has set before you is the same table that he set before the person maybe who gets on your nerves 
or the person who doesn't agree with you politically, or the person who posts the thing on social media that you're like, I cannot believe they've done this again, they've put it on social media, this rant, I can't stand it. Or maybe it's the person who always just says that one thing that just gets under your, your skin a little bit. Maybe it's you know, the person to your left, to your right, your neighbor, the stranger among you, your coworker, that same table that Jesus has brought you to, he's bringing everyone to. And so this act of communion is not just vertical, it is also horizontal, and we are called to love one another and thank the Lord that by the goodness of his grace, other people then can see Jesus in that. That it's, it's just never up to us. There's no part of the story with Peter and John that, wow, they're really great, can't you tell they love Jesus? No, it's their plainness, it's their like the fact that they're ordinary, that there's nothing fantastic about them that makes it obvious that they've been with Jesus, that the power of God is in them, and it's God that makes them different. And I think that's, that's what makes us different. The Lord is moving in us, wants us to abide with him, to bring him close. And as we do that, and people see, as you love one another, you are my disciples, we want to participate in community. We want to serve one another. We want to take off our robe. We want to get on our knees. We want to wash each other's feet. And I mean that figuratively also. I'm not saying actually take off your clothes. But consider what, what does it look like to consider somebody else before yourself? And this is why life groups are amazing. As we are inviting people to consider joining a life group, we believe this is a vital practice in our discipleship to Jesus and to becoming more like Jesus as we practice the way of Jesus, is being in community with each other. It's getting around a table. It's looking at Jesus together. It's being challenged to serve and love one another. It's to practice the way of life together. And see, I don't think it's just a good idea. I think I, I really believe it. I really believe this because that's why I'm here this morning. Is because somebody 10 years ago said to me, do you want to come to my life group? Now at the time they called it a Bible study. And the names are always a little different. Bible study, life group, connect group, small group. There's all the names. It's all the same thing, essentially. It is getting around a table with people, believers, and, a, and looking at Jesus together and serving and loving one another. But at the time when I was 19, I had a friend who just said, why don't you come to life group with me? Why don't you just come and see? And, and I was at a place that I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, I have nothing else better to try. And as I came to this small group, there were about eight to ten other young girls and two moms, and we had chai tea and cookies and opened scripture together and looked at Jesus and asked questions and shared about our lives. And then there's a moment that they were like, does anyone want prayer? And I was like, sure, what exactly does that mean? And I just didn't quite understand what we were doing. But something about it drew me in. I was like, something is happening in this like basement of this woman's house while her kids' feet, you can hear them upstairs running back and forth, back and forth. And you're like, but this isn't like, there's nothing spectacular about this. It's like 10, 16, 17, 18 year olds and two moms who have multiple children and they've decided like, they'll just let them run upstairs like in chaos while we meet downstairs. I, you know, it's like, uh, what is, what's amazing about this is just that they made space for us. 
They just said, why don't you come in? Why don't you come over? Let's talk about Jesus. And so from then it was, oh, Kelsey, like, you know, you're coming to, you're coming to this small group. You want to come to youth group? We have youth group on Sunday night. Why don't you come? And it's like, oh, sure. I kind of like you girls. Sure, I'll come to youth group. And then from youth group, it was like, oh, we're going to dinner afterwards. Do you want to come to the restaurant? And it's like, sure, you guys all seem pretty normal. You seem pretty funny. Like, I think I can do dinner with you. You know, it's like, and one by one, they're just making space for me to the point that I realized if this is what it looks, as I'm looking at them follow Jesus, I'm like, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus because of the ways you love each other, you serve each other, you give your life for one another. Now, also as a 19-year-old, I didn't have that language. I look back and I realized that's what it was. At the time, I was very much like, what is this? What is different about you guys? Something. Is it that you're nice? Is it that like you're really nice and you're really polite and you hold the door open and you pray before you eat? Like, is that what it is? I'm like, no. It's that God is moving amongst them and I could tell, I could feel it, even if I didn't have words to say it, that sometimes the Spirit of God is moving in us in a way that causes somebody to wonder, what is different? What's happening? And you're just drawn again and again and again. And I, I think as believers, we're just, we're just asked to make room for one more. We're not to do anything extra fancy. We don't need a big spectacle. I think as we've been invited to the table, we are asked to make room for one more at the table for other people to see and taste that God is good again and again and again. And this is what Jesus does. He makes room for women at the table. He makes room for children to come close to him. He makes room for a paralyzed man that gets dropped through the roof and heals him. He makes room for people to come close to him, to touch his robe. He, he makes room for one more. And so we want to follow the way of Jesus because that's what he does. He just makes room for one more. To come and see him. To taste and see that he is good. And it's true. It's not this idea that's just been like, oh, doesn't that sound nice? This sounds like a nice thing to do. It's real. It's tangible. It's powerful. It changes lives. This goodness of God. And so what does it look like for us to join him in this and making room for one more? What does it look like in your life? Is it an invitation to a Sunday morning? Is it an invitation to your dinner table in your home? Is it an invitation to a life group or an invitation to lunch at some point? Is it asking your coworker about their weekend and going a little bit deeper than just like, oh yeah, weekend was good, great. Maybe it's like, oh, tell me more. Like, do you have a family? Who do you spend time with? Who do you live life with? What does your life look like? Is it having deeper conversation? Is it running into your neighbor and saying, do you, just, do you wanna just like come in for a cup of tea real quick? Just a, like just a little chat? Is it something else? Is it on a football pitch? Is it outside? Is it going to the park together, to the common? I think we can get creative. I don't think it is a literal table. But it could be. Or it could be a pint after work. Or it could just be a deeper conversation in a moment to just say, I just want to make room for you to maybe encounter Jesus. Because what I have seen and heard, I cannot stop talking about it. 
I cannot move on from the goodness of God. And I don't want to. And I think we don't have to put on something. We can just follow the Lord and that will display his goodness and his love and invite people in. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take communion together. We, we practice an open table, so if you're new with us, you are welcome to take communion with us. And what we want to do is, yeah, we just want to take a minute to reflect, to pause the chaos from our weeks, maybe even your morning. And we just want to reflect on the goodness of God, to taste and see that He is good. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.